So let me read uh, Hosea chapter 2, uh, verse 14. Uh, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of youth and uh, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you shall call you, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. Now I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I'll make you to lie down in safety. And I will and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer, answer Jezreel. And I will, sow for, I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a latech of uh, barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the horror or belong to another man, so also, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Let's pray first. Father, we ask for our hearts to be open to your word. We thank you that your word is your love letter to us. Your word is your expression of your love to us, Lord. Your word reveals who you are, your character, your nature, the essence of who you are, which is love. And so, Lord, we ask for our hearts to be open to love. We ask that, Lord, you will humble our hearts with your love, the greatness of your love, the depth, the height, the breadth, the length of your love, God. Open our hearts to your love, to receive your love and to express your love to a broken world. Father, even as we look into your word today, I pray for the anointing of God to break every yoke 
that is binding people, that is um, every yoke of the enemy that brings that 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 is a stronghold in the minds of people that hinders the love of God from flowing in. I pray for every lie of the enemy to, to be broken by the hammer of his word, by the truth of his word. So Lord, we just commit today into your hands. Bless the preaching and the teaching of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> now, um, I picked this, uh, a, a passage that is kind of embedded in a, a big storyline uh, in Hosea. So in order to kind of understand this passage, you really need to know the context. Uh, some of you um, are smart enough to go to Bible Project and, you know, watch an overview of uh, Hosea, you know. Some of you read a bit of commentary and kind of understand the context. Uh, some of you read through the entire book of Hosea to get the context that's even better, okay? Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, a backdrop and at the same time, just throw in certain ideas and thoughts that I have, okay? Now, uh, the, 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 story of, the story of Hosea, uh, that's an object lesson. It is an object lesson that the Lord gives. Uh, of the love relationship God has, the Lord has with Israel, that's number one, and Christ has with the church, okay? Uh, I'll talk about it. It's uh, the, the prophetic fulfillment of uh, Hosea chapter 3 uh, a little bit later on. So, storyline is Hosea, uh, prophet of the Lord, is asked by the Lord to take an immoral woman possibly a prostitute by trade, uh, as a wife, okay? So from the start, it's already, uh, wow, <laughs> a big sacrifice right there. And it's, it's uh, the Lord must have put a lot of his love in Hosea's heart for him to, have, uh, to, to take this step of faith. And it says, uh, and, and, and after she had borne him three children, uh, she ran away to other lovers. Now, uh, her, her immorality, her, fate, her unfaithfulness, it moved her from one husband to the next, one lover to the next, to the next. And, uh, you know, each time she, she goes to her husband, uh, she gets married again and she gets divorced. And each time, uh, a lover rejects her or she runs away from a lover, uh, new spreads. And she starts spiraling downwards in the social class, downwards and downwards and downwards until eventually she ends up becoming a slave that is being sold. Okay. Now the slaves in that day, in the day, uh, in, in that time, the slaves uh, trade this is how it seems like they are firstly they are stripped naked they are bound why are they stripped naked because the potential buyers will walk past and they will inspect them one by one just like it's like inspecting goods okay that's a slave trade that's the slave slavery uh in the city of samaria okay so 
Hosea, the Lord moves on Hosea uh, after this, uh, after Gomer had cheated on him, not just with one man, but with many men, became a slave. Uh, the Lord moves on Hosea to buy her at the slave trade, probably at auction. Um, and he paid 15 shekels of silver and a, a measure of barley. Okay, uh, Bible scholars would tell you that it possibly amounts to 30 shekels of silver, uh, which is the price of an ox or the price of fulfillment of a vow of a woman in uh, Leviticus 27 verse 4. You can check it out. Okay, it's about 30 shekels of silver. Now, Hosea probably didn't have enough silver and paid the rest by the measure of barley. Okay. And it's significant. Why? Because Jesus was sold out by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. So while Hosea paid silver for Gomer's redemption, Father God paid the price of his precious son for our redemption. So throughout this story, there is a kind of love. There's a special kind of love that is highlighted in the book of Hosea, is, called, is this uh, particular word called chesed, okay? Uh, if you are a Jewish person, you will probably uh, pronounce it much better <laughs> than I did, okay? Uh, but I, I, I just pronounce it as chesed, love. And it's basically whenever you see the word steadfast love, okay? That's chesed, love. She said love is uh, a covenantal love, is steadfast, is to bring out, is to highlight the steadfastness of love, the faithfulness of that love. It's, it's a love that says when you are unfaithful, even if you are unfaithful, I remain faithful to pursue you back to me. Okay? I will win you back. Yeah, we know, we know the, the thing is, we know that the Lord will not imprison us with his love. He will not force us against our will to be with him. He will not. Okay, so when we go up to heaven, it will be a, 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 an entire uh, uh, a people that is willingly in love with him, that he has won over our hearts to him. Okay, in, uh, in the first line in verse 14, he already says it. He says, I will allure her. Allure, the word means I will win over her heart. I will woo her. I will chase her. I will pursue her. Just like a boyfriend, you know, chasing the heart of that girl, right? And winning her heart, right? I will allure her. Now, um, this when we come to this chesed love, this faithful, steadfast, covenantal love, uh, I learned this from uh, Amy really well. Uh, and she will have lots to teach uh, our young people about it. Now, um, and... You know, um, among our young people, there are many of them who are uh, in the season of marriage, either moving towards marriage or just gotten married or, 
you know, just got engaged and, and all of that. Uh, one of the things uh, we talked, one of the aspects that we, Amy and I, we, we talked about uh, marriage preparation course that they really, really must teach on is this part of the marriage vow that says, till death do us part. Till death do us part. Not to anything else, but to death do us part. That means when God instituted marriage, marriage is a picture of that covenantal, faithful, steadfast love that God has as the husband, uh, God has for his bride. God has for his people. God, as a husband, never divorces us. His love is faithful. His love is steadfast. And therefore, divorce displeases God. It displeases God. Moses allowed it because of the hardness of man's heart. Okay, But if marriage is a picture of Christ and his church, then marriage is meant to be holy, is meant to be powerful. So you got to know the weight of your commitment. So I know different marriage preparation course teach on many different things. You know, some teach you how to communicate with one another. Some teach you how to fight well. Some will teach you how to handle your finances, uh, who to do house chores and blah, 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 and all of that. Fantastic. But one thing I think if uh, uh, Amy, would, Amy and I were to want to impart is this part of the marriage vow to death do us part. That means no matter how tough it is, no matter what this one person did or that one person did, we, we work it through together. We, we hold on to one another. We pray through. We worship the Lord. We trust God. We, we, we struggle together. I know you're going to throw me 1,001 uh, scenarios. What if there's an abusive relationship? What if you know this guy did this thing? What if there's sexual immorality? What if this person uh, decides, uh, what if the husband decides I'll turn into a woman, you know, and a woman decides I'll turn into a man? Or, you know, like there's a, a one million and one <laughs> circumstances, situations you can throw at me. But I want to say this. God instituted marriage to death do us part. That's God's heart. And it's a picture of God's faithful love to us. So, so for those of you who are uh, moving towards marriage, preparing yourself for marriage, preparing yourself to be a bride or a bridegroom, let this truth hit your heart. This is going to be a chiset love, a steadfast love, a faithful love. In the times where there is no chemistry and there are so many fights, so many quarrels, your, your, your commitment to one another 
calls you to spark the emotion of love again. Your commitment to one another calls you to come to, to one another, forgive, open up your hearts, trust, to be vulnerable with one another again. That's the Chisette love that God is trying to display through this book. When I consider uh, Hosea's love or the love that God has for his people, uh, it's, a, it's an incredible love and somewhat unbelievable in this day and age. Because divorce seems to be such an easy option, right? And the vows, the weight of the vows, uh, the weight of the, our commitment to one another, our covenant toward one another becomes so watered down. And our, our generation today lacks so many godly couples who stand the test of time and who persist and who persist on in their devotion to one another in the midst of tough times. So I want to challenge you, uh, couples, let your, let your marriage be an inspiration for the next generation. Let your marriage be an inspiration. No matter how rocky it is, no matter how tough it is, you know, no matter how many fights you have, <laughs> let the persistence of your marriage, the steadfastness of holding to one another in the midst of, for better or for worse, you know, <laughs> that you hold on to one another, let that be your inspiration to others. Okay. I want to jump on verse 14. Uh, now, when it talks about, uh, I will lure her and I will bring her into the wilderness. Wow. When Hosea redeems uh, Gomer, okay, now this second part, right? He's at the slave trade. He pays the 15 shekels and the, bar and, and the measure of barley. And he buys her over, right? Now, when he redeems her, when he buys her over, does it mean that she, he has won her heart? No. Does it mean he has won her heart? He just bought her, right? It doesn't mean she has determined. In her, I mean, she could be grateful. We don't know. Doesn't really talk about it. She could have uh, said, maybe I want to stay with you. Maybe not. I don't know. We don't, it, it, Hosea redeeming Goma doesn't, does not mean she has determined in her heart to stay faithful or she has fallen in love again with Hosea. No. She was bought by Hosea 
actually now she's a slave to Hosea. <laughs> she is because Hosea bought her at a slave market. She's a slave to Hosea. You know when Romans six uh, talks about we were we are we were slaves to sin. We were once slaves to sin. Now we uh, Romans six sixteen to nineteen. Okay, it talks about that. We were once slaves to sin. Now we are slaves to righteousness. Put the big R on the righteousness. <laughs> okay. Now I want you to think about who's uh, uh about Gomer being. It at the slave trade, being bound, stripped naked by her captors, and people are examining her in shame. She's covered in shame. She's naked. She's, she's, yeah, in just a terrible state. That's us being a slave to sin. Now, we don't see ourselves as that because. A lot of times, sins, sins, uh, the sins that we engage in is very pleasurable to the flesh, right? And some of it might even look very nice to the world. But when God looks at us and we are slaves to sin, that's the picture that we, ha that we have. We are bound, we are stripped naked, and we have no power and no control over ourselves because we are slaves. Slaves mean being obedient to sin. Those who are in uh, certain kinds of sins, certain kinds of uh, more uh, sins that, that, that seems to bind you more, will feel it a bit more. Uh, especially if you are in bondage to drugs or you are addicted to alcohol and all that. You feel that bondage a little bit more. But when it's, uh, you know, approval of man, the sense of fear, anxiety, you know, stuff like that, sometimes we don't see ourselves as slaves in that way. You know? So now Hosea bought her, Hosea paid the price Technically, he has the right, basically he has the right to let the community stone her for her infidelity, right? Because if you go by the law of Moses, you know, she will be stoned. Just like, just like the son, in uh, the lost son in Luke chapter 15. The father could let the community stone him for humiliating the father, right? Or he has the right to sell her off again. He has the right to work her as a slave in the fields, right? Just as the father, you know, father to that lost son, he has the right to make him, you know, in fact, the son wanted to come and work as a slave. But what is the father's... Um, response no he doesn't right and what is Hosea's response no he gives himself to her again but not fully not until she desires him not until she desires him okay 
You see in verse uh, chapter 3, I believe. Chapter 3. Um, the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, they turn to other gods and love cakes of uh, raisin. Um, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, a homer, a latech of, of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. That means for a season of time, you will be mine. You will dwell as mine. You will be in my house, right? You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. Don't, don't marry another man. Don't sleep around with any other person. Don't engage in sexual immorality. Be pure to me. So will I also be to you. What he's saying is in this season, I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm not going to have sexual relations with you. I'm going to hold myself back from you. Okay. So he, he wants to give herself, he wants to give himself to her again, but not until she desires him. So for a season, she will dwell with him, but he will not have sexual relations with her. He will remove from her all her previous lovers. And during this time of seclusion, this time of solitude, this time of uh, wilderness, why wilderness? Because she's being deprived from her previous lovers and previous pleasures. In this time, she will reflect. She will contemplate. She will think about Hosea's love. And in this time, Hosea will speak tenderly to her and win her heart and allure her. And hopefully, she will repent and she will love Hosea again. In the meanwhile, Hosea will keep himself pure for her. He will not take another wife. He will remain faithful. And he will wait longingly for the day that they will be together once again. It's a picture of Christ and the church. Christ redeemed us. Christ bought us with his blood. He paid for it with his life. But he will not force himself on us. He will speak tenderly to our hearts. He will allure us. He will bring us into the wilderness to contemplate his love. He will speak tenderly, winning our hearts. And hopefully, we repent. We turn. We look to him. We, we give our hearts to him. And we love our Hosea again. And our Hosea will keep himself pure for us. He will remain faithful. And he longs for us. For the day where he will come in clouds. 
in the clouds and we will meet once again and the marriage supper of the Lamb and the consummation where we will fully be one. So there's something so powerful. I want to talk about this wilderness. This wilderness. Because that's what the Lord will bring uh, Israel into this wilderness. That's what um, uh, Hosea, after buying um, uh, Gomer, that's what he brings her into, a, a form of wilderness, a form of solitude, contemplation. There's something powerful about this wilderness. It's the removal of all our illegitimate lovers, idols in our hearts, or things that may even seemingly be legitimate but have taken the place in our hearts that belongs to him alone. Um, Hosea chapter 2, verse 5 to 7. You see, this picture is, is given over and over in Hosea, so you'll find it at different parts. Uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 5 to 7 speaks about it. Okay, so uh, I'm going to throw it in right here. For their mother has played the horror. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my, my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hatch up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. This is the wilderness right here. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than, than now. Sometimes um, it's pursuing a, a career a job, a path, a person that seems to be able to provide the needs and the comforts for, of life for you. Because uh, Gomer is saying right here, my lovers, they will provide my bread and my water. These are the needs, right? My wool and my flax. And then my wants, my desires, my oil and my drink, the luxurious stuff my basic stuff and luxurious stuff, my, these, this job will provide that for me. This path, this career path will provide that for me. This person will provide that for me. And seeing that, seeing these things, these things, these people as your provider rather than Heavenly Father as your provider. So, in these times, what, what does the Lord do? The Lord, in His love for you, in His grace toward you, He might remove the provisions, the provisions that actually He has been providing. Yeah. The Lord might remove the provisions to expose the deception of our eyes that we ourselves or another person or particular job or particular career can ultimately provide our needs. Yeah. And I think 
every single one of us, if you have set your heart to follow the Lord, to, to radically, radically, faithfully follow the Lord, like, Lord, I really want to follow you. Whatever you lead me, whatever you, you challenge me, uh, I will go. I'll follow. I find that every Christian who is serious about their faith and their pursuit of the Lord, they will go through this thing where God removes <laughs> a lot of the uh, things that they have been dependent on. The comforts, the, um, the seemingly pro- pro- providers of their lives. And the point where they begin to see, begin to realize that Heavenly Father is my provider. He is my provider. Then that's where they begin to live in freedom. Freedom from fear of lack. Yeah. You know, in this, in this, uh, in this one verse, it says, therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. Right? Remember, we as Christians, we always pray this. Lord, we pray for a hedge of protection. Yeah, that sounds really nice. This is the real picture, right? The real picture is a Jewish shepherd setting up a hedge, hedge of bushes, hedge, right? Full of thorns <laughs> to prevent a sheep from wandering off. You know, imagine there is a cliff right there. This shepherd is going to set up a whole hedge of, uh, of, of thorns right where the dangerous cliffs are. So if you are a sheep that is highly disobedient, jumping and pushing and, you know, wandering off and trying to, to jump off the cliff, the Lord, in his goodness, in his protection, he will set up a hedge of protection that causes you to experience pain, but for his, but for your good, for your protection. That's the love of God, right? That's the love of God. So have you experienced yourself? Have you experienced the hedges of his protection? So the next time, you pray, Lord, would you set a hedge of protection around me and my family? Know this, that if you wonder, God in his goodness and kindness, he's going to protect you. But sometimes it's painful. Right? Because he's removing certain things that are not good for your heart. Yeah. So what does this wilderness look like? Okay, I'm going to throw practicals. What does this wilderness look like? Wilderness sometimes looks like delayed answers. And that's a difficult one. I've uh, once read a book by Bob Sorge. It's called The Fire of Delayed Answers. (laughs) 
that's a well-phrased title because delayed answers is fiery. It is tough. It burns. Yeah. <laughs> but it burns and it refines you. It refines you. It's not that God doesn't want to answer. He will. But sometimes not giving you what you want at the timing that you want in the way that you want, it surfaces and things in your heart. Whether your dependence is on Him, whether your trust is in Him, whether your ultimate love is for Him. So sometimes wilderness looks like delayed answers. The second one, uh, I've experienced this before and I still experience it. Uh, wilderness sometimes looks like the Lord allowing you to face the natural consequences of your sin. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, in my early years, uh, I was involved in all kinds of sexual promiscuity and God allows me to face consequences of my sin to a measured amount. He doesn't cause me to be totally destroyed and my life taken away. He doesn't destroy me and my calling and my future. But the Lord does allow me to face natural consequences of my sin so I learn certain things and so I learn how to run to Him as well. Yeah. Uh, what does wilderness look like? For the workaholics out there, for the ministry holics out there, <laughs> wilderness looks like sabbatical. <laughs> Faith says, Amen. <laughs> Faith, um, <laughs> Faith in a season of sabbatical right now. <laughs> Wilderness sometimes looks like every of your responsibility that, you know, in the past seems to give you a sense of identity, worth, and value. All this being taken away for a period of time. And stopping for a while and having that time to enjoy Him and look to Him and love Him and... Um, I, I just went through a sabbatical. Now, I'm not a ministry holic or workaholic, so I thoroughly enjoyed my sabbatical of uh, enjoying him, looking at him, seeking him. And, and you know what? He wants to bring this lifestyle of seeking him, enjoying him out of your sabbatical, even in the midst of doing ministry, he wants you to have that. And that's why I think sometimes sabbatical is to realign. Yeah. Sabbatical, some uh, wilderness sometimes looks like everything being removed except for your provision for your basic needs. God will always supply your needs. But sometimes God will take away all the luxurious items, the luxurious things. Okay. Uh, Finally, I have this one last example. Sometimes wilderness look like 
a famine of his manifest presence and his loud, spectacular voice. Yeah. Not that he doesn't speak, but sometimes the Lord wants you to draw very, very close for him to speak tenderly to you. Right? Look at this, that verse that says, um, verse 14, Behold, I will allure her, I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly to her. What does speak tenderly to her mean? Softly to her. She must lean in. She must listen. Right? Um, I remember when Jesus was brought into the wilderness. Before he was brought into the wilderness, the Father spoke very clearly to him. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now he enters into wilderness for 40 days. He, he takes that word, uh, a word that was a rhema word, a powerful word that was spoken to him um, in a season where I guess heavens, there was open heavens over him. He hears clearly, right? He goes into the wilderness. What does he do? Chew on that word. Meditate on that word. Get everything out of that word for strength, for sustenance, for joy, for, for perseverance through the wilderness season. And so sometimes the Lord doesn't speak anything new to you because he's already spoken something to you and the Holy Spirit simply just echoes that, that word constantly over and over in your heart. So he's not saying something new. He's already spoken that to you. Look at your journal. He's saying it over and over again. Holy Spirit echoing over and over. Take that. And go through your wilderness with that word. Okay? Um, what, what wilderness basically is, is a season where God hedges you in. The goal of that, what's the goal of that? Verse 15 tells us, it says she will answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of Egypt. What is it basically saying? It's saying back to first love. Back to the joy of our salvation. Back to first love. Songs of Solomon put it as coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. You know, that's why uh, I tell couples it's important to uh, celebrate your wedding anniversaries. It's important. Yeah. Oh, every day is an anniversary for us. Every day, you know, is Valentine's Day. And yeah, 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 sure. Uh, but have certain milestones in your relationship where you relive past memories. 
where you stoke the flames of love again, where you, you know, renew your commitment to one another, where you think about the times, where you, where you think and talk about the times where, where you had fun or where you went through something really tough in your, in your marriage and you came out of it, you know, uh, victorious together, you know, and, um, and, and when you go through that, when you go through that, um, your current big issues, they start to look small. Yeah. So Hosea is de desiring something, uh, a transformation that would take place in the heart of Goma, in the place of wilderness. And so, if you're going through a season of wilderness, whatever it is, whether it's uh, you know waiting for a job or uh, waiting for a husband or waiting for a wife or you know uh, being in a tough family situation, you're praying for certain things and it hasn't come to pass and stuff like that. You know, in this time where you're going through that wilderness. Lord, would you transform my heart? Because I want to come out of this wilderness back to my first love with you. I want to come out of this wilderness leaning on you, depending on you, trusting in you more than ever before. I want to come out of this wilderness having an internal transformation where I will call you my husband. You know, this verse, uh, it says, in that day, you will call me my husband. You will no lo longer call me my Baal. Baal is uh, the primary uh, idol of the land at that time. You know, and, uh, and it, it says this, this idol shall be removed from their mouths. From, it will be removed from their hearts because out of the abundance of the hearts, the mouth speaks, right? Uh, so we will come to a place where we love him and no other, no other idols in our hearts. Now, I want to challenge you also. Uh, another understanding of Baal, uh, Baal is, uh, um, is a word that means master. So you will see that in, in some Bible translations that says, in that day, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my husband. Uh, my Sorry, my master. Okay. Uh, it, again, just like the lost son in Luke 15. He wanted to return as a slave. Goma was bought as a slave. But the heart of the Lord, the heart of God is not for us to be slaves to him, but sons and lovers sons of God and lovers of God. He created angelic beings primarily for service and duty, but not us, okay? God created us primarily, okay? Primarily for worship, fellowship, partnership, friendship, relationship, <laughs> yeah? Then out of that, we serve him. Out of that fellowship with him, out of that worship to him, 
out of that that friendship with him, out of that relationship, that love relationship with him, then we serve him. Now think about your relationship with God. How much of it is based on I want to serve him as a worker rather than relationship as a as a lover. Right? Now, service to God is not evil. We are called to serve God, but it, it is part of our expression as a son and a lover. So you see, Paul says, I am a bond servant to Christ. I'm a bond servant to Christ. And a lot of people say, see, you must serve God. You must, you know. Yes, yes. But know this, the picture here that Paul gives is a slave that has been set free but he returns to his master to serve him out of love, not compulsion, not repayment, not out of anything but love. We do everything in his kingdom out of love, from the place of love, because he is love. Okay. So when we look at uh, Hosea, uh, chapter 3, verse 3 to 5, it says this, you, you must dwell as mine for many days, right? Uh, later on, it says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Uh, when we talk about prophetic fulfillment, uh, when Hosea gives this word, the first fulfillment takes place. It's a, it's a double fulfillment. Uh, the first fulfillment takes place, this, this passage, in uh, when, when Israel... Uh, as a nation is being exiled to Babylon and also to other nations. And when they return again, when the children of Israel return again, they return back to the land of Israel after 70 plus years. Um, they return to united Israel under uh, back to one rule under Davidic descent, right? Now, there's another fulfillment. You see, Bible prophecies, oftentimes you'll be fulfilled once, twice, or thrice, three times. Okay? Uh, another fulfillment is when Israel was destroyed in AD 70. The people were scattered all through the nations. And 1948, God returns, calls, Israelites to return to the land. So there's an eventual national return back to the land of Israel. And in this time, also their hearts back to God. Right? But this passage, there is also a greater fulfillment, a global fulfillment. So the global bride of Christ comprising both of Jews and Gentiles. We were exiled into the world. Why? Because of man's sin. 
right? We are redeemed by Christ. Now we are in a season of waiting. We are in a season of waiting called the church age. And in this season of waiting, God's refining our hearts, God's sanctifying our hearts. So the idols of our hearts are being removed. We are learning to trust Him. We are learning to love Him, our bridegroom King. We are learning to long for Him to come to us again. This is our season as a bride of Christ. This is our season of repentance, of continual repentance. Repentance means turning our hearts back to God, returning to Him, right? And, and as we do that, there's a sanctification that's taking place in our hearts. We're waiting for Him. This is the church age. The church age is us waiting for the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, sanctifying our hearts, turning our hearts to Him causing us to love him, him tenderly speaking to us in this whole season of wilderness where we could, where we could face temptations of the comforts of the world or persecution from the world or both at the same time. And through this wilderness, we turn our hearts fully, 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 more and more and more to Him as a bride of Christ. Which then eventually leads us to the marriage supper of the Lamb and full oneness with God. Um, just in preparing for, you know, um, as I'm meditating through this, whole passage uh, I bump into one of the couples um, at a conference recently uh, one of the couples that wrote their testimony uh, in uh, the Elijah 7000 book and also gave their testimony on true love is uh, they are a Japanese couple called Itaro and Tamai yeah, so I met them personally and I heard their story again. And, and when I heard their story, I'm like, wow, that speaks of, you know, God's redemptive love. Um, basically, uh, long story short, uh, Itaro and Tamai, they uh, got to know one another in Singapore, got married, had two kids, you know, uh, and uh, Tamae, uh, who was struggling with same-sex attraction, uh, had an affair with another lady, and um, she was feeling a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, um, but she carried on with the affair. She wrote everything down in her journal, hoping that Itaro might find it, and confront her. Yeah. And she wanted to stop, but she could not. And uh and Itaro found out, uh, read the journal, found out, and he was very angry, very angry. Uh he could not forgive her. They went on life as usual, but he could not forgive her. And uh so coming back from they worked together. Coming back from work, Itaro would just leave the house, go for a walk, just refuse to even look at her, talk to her. 
And um, the Lord confronted uh, Itaro and spoke to him. And uh, the Lord said, uh, gave him a scenario. And he said, if, you're, if someone were to kidnap your child, you know, kidnap your child, torture and kill your child, would you be able to forgive that person? And Itaro was like, no, I would never be able to forgive that person. I, I can't even forgive my wife, much less forgive that person who kidnaps and tortures my child. And at that point, when he answered that, he knew that's, that's what God did. That's what God did. And at the cross, Jesus says, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And so there's a redemptive love. There's a redemptive aspect of God's love that is embedded in Chisette love. Is steadfast, is unwavering. Um, and it's a love that says, I will absorb all the anger, all the injustice, all the pain, all the hurt. I will absorb it. I will take it. I will take it. I will take it. I cannot imagine what Hosea goes through as a prophet, what he goes through. I mean, I think, you know, he's, I think of, you know, sometimes the Bible says uh, Elijah was, is like a, a man with uh, common, common passions. Like he's similar to us, you know. I think Hosea is, is like that, is a normal common man. <laughs> Yeah, he is he's a single father taking care of three kids. And the Lord moves on his heart. Forgive this woman, redeem her. And he redeems her, and her heart still has not set on following him yet or or, or falling in love with him yet. And so he he waits. He willingly waits. He does not force herself on, on her. He does not force her to love him. He does not threaten her to love him. He speaks tenderly to her, to her in the wilderness and drawing her heart back. Honestly, when I see that, I see, I see myself. <laughs> I see myself. I see myself. Yeah. So let me just pray into that. Lord, I I honestly see myself as Gomer. My heart is so prone to wonder, God. And oftentimes, I hear your voice, but I don't want to obey. Oftentimes, I, I rather trust in myself or in men or in different things rather than you. 
So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the hedge of protection that you have set around me. In the times where I'm about to hurt myself seriously, and I'm about to hurt others seriously, Lord, you hedge me in. And though it may be painful, God, Lord, I know you did it for my good. I thank you for the seasons of wilderness, God. The times where I'm seeking you, but the answers are delayed. The times where I don't hear your voice so spectacularly, I don't see your miracles so evidently. The times where it seems like everything, like everything is is taken away from me. Lord, I thank you for those times. Because in those times, I hear you speaking tenderly to my heart and drawing me to yourself. And so, Lord, today as we look at this scripture, we look at your chesed love. We praise you, God, for your love toward us is steadfast, is enduring. You are so faithful, even when 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 we are unfaithful. You're so faithful, God. Thank you that because you are faithful, our faith in you has a substance. Our love for you, our relationship with you has an anchor. That anchor is not our love, but your love. Because your love is unmovable. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, we come. Whether we are in the season of wilderness or not, we come yielding to your love, asking your Holy Spirit to transform our hearts that we may return to first love, the joy of our salvation. Bring us back to the place where we first know you, God, where we first fell in love with you, that excitement, that zeal, that fire, that passion. Lord, let it be every day. Let it be every day. Lord, we love you and we want to love you more. We want to grow in love. We want to grow in love for you. We want to grow in experiencing your love for us. And we want to grow in love for one another. We thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.